The reason we want to be together in the liturgy is, is not so much for each other, though we do have wonderful fellowship. But uh, if you come to an Orthodox church, people aren't looking around and greeting your neighbor. We're not doing okay. any of that. Yep. We're really looking forward and praying, but it's because of God being there. Welcome to Where We Belong, a podcast where we dive into questions surrounding what it means to belong to a community of faith, how we do that well, and why it often feels so hard. I'm Lauren from Whitworth's Office of Church Engagement, and I'm excited to walk with you as we puzzle through big questions that a lot of us are asking about the church, about culture, and about our place in the body of Christ. So if you are a church leader, a church skeptic, an all-in church member, or fall somewhere in between, I invite you to join us in these conversations as we wrestle with the truth that, whether we like it or not, we are claimed by the community of faith, and it's where we belong. I am excited to introduce to you this week's guest, Father Tim Wilkinson, also known as Dr. Tim Wilkinson. He is the Dean of the School of Business here at Whitworth, where he specializes in international marketing and global strategic management. And you might have guessed from the father, he is also an ordained priest in the Orthodox Church and currently serves here in Spokane at St. Luke's Orthodox Christian Church. If you are familiar with the Orthodox tradition, this is a great intro to learning more specifically when it comes to belonging. You'll hear him talk about belonging and the Orthodox Church specifically, physicality, the importance of the church body, belonging to the community of Orthodox saints. Lots of good stuff here. Hope you enjoy. I am here with Dr. Tim Wilkinson. Tim, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Lauren. Great to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, why don't we start? Just tell me a little bit about your story, your background with the church. How did you get to where you are today? Okay, great. Thanks so much. Well, uh, just I was uh, I grew up in Wyoming, and uh, my parents uh, we were members of a Presbyterian church there. Um, I was baptized in that church, but we weren't big churchgoers growing up. It was maybe Christmas and Easter kind okay. of people. Um, but then, uh, later, uh, you know, I had these different experiences like young people do. I, I remembered a few years ago that the boy across the alley from me was in the Salvation Army. And I remember going to a Salvation Army event and getting saved at the, mm. with the Salvation Army, which I'd actually forgotten about until just a few years ago. And then in high school, I went to a Andre Cole performance, Andre Cole was a magician who did evangelism for Campus Crusade oh, for Christ. And uh, I was really struck by the message and raised my hand to receive Christ. Uh -huh. And there was some, um, a little bit of follow-up, but uh, I pretty much dropped, dropped by the wayside. But then uh, when I got married uh, uh, in my early 20s, uh, my wife, who had grown up as a Catholic and then had become an evangelical in college, she had this habit of going to church every week, which she got mm -hmm. from her father's Catholicism. So I quickly discovered that, no, this wasn't something we do every now and then. We just do this. Okay. This is the way we live our lives. So we began to do that. And we were in a number of different churches, uh, evangelical churches. But then uh, 
a couple of things happened that really caused me to question, have some questions. One was um, uh, my brother-in-law gave me a book by Tom Howard. Tom Howard is uh, the um, brother of Elizabeth Elliot, who is quite famous in evangelicalism. But Tom Howard wrote a book called Evangelical is Not Enough, where he started to really explore uh, liturgy. And that was interesting because uh, I had never thought about that at all. And then the other book that came my way was uh, this book by James Barr, Beyond Fundamentalism, which challenges in many ways the kind of... Um, uh, sola scriptura approach to faith. We subsequently uh, were, lived in Minnesota for a while, and we were in a Lutheran church. Everybody in Minnesota is in a Lutheran church. Yes. And I met a guy at this church who uh, kept saying to me, doctrine is important. Doctrine is important, which was interesting to me because before that time, I'd always heard that doctrine divides and we need to not okay. be so concerned about doctrine. So that was his message to me. And, and we decided to read a book together. And it was, this book was called The Charismatics by John MacArthur. And we read this book together. And, uh, but what we did was every time John MacArthur used a Bible verse, we looked it up in the Bible. And about half the time, it seemed to me that he was not using the verse uh, in context, or he was getting something different from it, certainly from what I could see. And so then I became, I really became skeptical about the whole sola scriptura perspective, okay. that we can go to the Bible and just read it and get, hmm. it, and its meaning is plain in day if we have these, if we have these hermeneutical tools, I could see that no, people have many different perspectives on what the Bible means. And then the question was, really, is this the way God intended us to approach the scripture? Is it, is mm -hmm. this, can we really come to the scriptures without preconceived ideas forming how we're, we're reading them? Um, and so I was, uh, I was pretty sad at that point, uh, thinking that well, what is this? Uh, what are we going to? How do we view this? And it, about then, I heard about the Orthodox Church um, through uh, some people, and especially through this book, "Becoming Orthodox" by Peter Gilquist, and that was a big thing for us. Peter Gilquist, going back to Campus Crusade for Christ, was one of the executive staff members of Campus Crusade for Christ in the 19, late 1960s and early 1970s. And these Campus Crusade people were involved with the whole Jesus movement. Yeah. And um, But they began to ask the question of what is the church? We know what parachurch is. What is the church? And so then they, um, as they studied the church, whatever they found in church history, they began to do. Uh, to the point where uh, in 1986, these Campus Crusade for Christ, former Campus Crusade for Christ leaders uh, brought in about 7,000 people into the Orthodox Church because they had had these wow. different congregations okay. around the country. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So when I found out about this and was reading a little bit about the Orthodox Church, 
it seemed so different to me from our evangelical background. I thought, I need to talk to somebody, but I need them to be able to understand where we're coming from right. as non-denominational type evangelicals. And so I called uh, this church in Minneapolis, St. Mary's Cathedral, and I talked to the priest. I said, we, there's a group of us, because at that point there was a group. We need to find out about orthodoxy. We would like to, wow. uh, we'd like to speak with Peter Gilquist. And so this priest said, well, okay, I'll call him up and get back to you. So a couple of days later, he called me back. He said, look, um, I talked to Father Peter. And he said that he lives in California. He can't meet with you, but that you should meet with me. And he said, in fact, I am the first Orthodox priest that that group met with. And that was uh, Father Ted Rojic, who at that time was the head of the cathedral there. And so he came to our house and he brought I think, uh, two or three priests with him uh, and met with our little group of people a number of times. Um, and it was... Uh, it was pretty great, uh, just his care for us and uh, his, their willingness to come and meet mm. with us. Um, but then uh, shortly after that, uh, my wife and I and our children moved to Salt Lake City because I was going to go to the University of Utah and get my PhD. And so our, our journey continued there. Okay. We were introduced to uh, Father Basil Hartong, and we began to go, going to the Orthodox Church right then okay. in Salt Lake City. So then we were received in uh, 1993 into the Orthodox Church, about six blocks from the Mormon Temple. Yes. So and it was a great, <laughs> a great time for us there. Wow. And now you are an Orthodox priest. Right. Yeah. So then uh, that that took its time. Uh, we were in the church for a number of years. We moved. Uh, to uh, Boise. I had my first job at Boise State, and we we helped to begin a uh, mission, actually, or what we call, I guess, a church startup um, yeah. in uh, Boise. And then, uh, but then after three years, I moved to Ohio. So it was in Ohio where uh, I heard about a late vocations program, and this is for older uh, guys that are interested in becoming Orthodox clergy. So I went to this program for three years and uh, once a month at an, a monastery. So it was a great experience. We would go uh, on a Saturday, have some classes, but then our day would end with um, Vespers, dinner, and then a compline service. It's kind of a liturgical dessert. After yes, dinner, like and then we have Saturday night at the move, movies where the abbot would show us a video. Then we would uh, uh, go to bed and sleep till three in the morning and then start the services. And that wow. would be the midnight office, uh, matins, the hours, and then liturgy in the morning. And we did that for three years. And that was an incredible, I think the best, actually the best educational experience I've had. Wow. And then I was ordained a deacon in 2002 and served as a deacon in Ohio, Montana, and then here until 2018 when I was ordained as a priest. And then we started a 
Church in North Spokane, St. Luke Orthodox Church. So that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing a bit of your story. And I wonder if you might, I think it's particularly interesting that you emerged from that evangelical kind of more non-denominational world. And you mentioned liturgy as maybe being one of those things. What, What would you say were just a couple of things about the Orthodox faith or worldview that, that really drew you in? Well, I, I guess uh, certainly liturgy, although liturgy for me wasn't initially so attractive. It was, it was uh, more difficult for me to understand it, but subsequently that becomes everything really for us. Um, but I think initially a lot of my questions uh, were being answered. There's a lot of questions, I think, just regular churchgoers uh, might come upon, and uh, it requires some study, some Mm -hmm. study of history. And many of us in the Orthodox Church who've come into the church are students of of church history. Um, And so Orthodoxy answered a lot of questions, you know, because the dynamic in Western Christianity really is between Rome and then the reaction to Rome, which is Protestantism, orthodoxy to the outsider uh, looks like a kind of distorted Roman Catholicism. But to us in the Orthodox Church, Rome and Protestantism, as we say, are two sides to the same coin. It's a dialectic that's gone back over many centuries now, and uh, it really shapes both the way both groups think about the world and uh, I think doctrine and um, uh, how Western Christianity relates to the world. Mm. Yeah, answered some questions for you. Mm. Yeah, what would you say for maybe someone who's not quite as familiar with the Orthodox worldview? So you've mentioned the history as a key component what other things might you say are important in terms of maybe somebody who's unfamiliar understanding the Orthodox worldview or faith? Right. Well, um, I would say uh, the thing about Orthodoxy, there's a number of things. One is it's it's really the, uh, the closeness of God in the world, the imminence mm-hmm. of God. Um, God, God is, uh, is with us. He has revealed himself to us. And that is an apparent thing uh, that um, we experience, and especially in the divine services, especially in the liturgy. Uh, So that's why church is so vital for us and being in church. And we're that church, you know, as I say, uh, when people scoff at churchianity, I, I think well, maybe that's us that they're scoffing at because we really uh, relate to God um, uh, so much in the church in together. The church. Mm. So that's a real big part of our, our life. Yes. And then the other thing I would say about that is that um, in Orthodox theology, there's real emphasis on uh, the spiritual side of physicality or the physical side of being spiritual. Mm. We don't have, um, we don't, I'd say we don't suffer as much from the, this kind of a Gnostic idea that's taken over so much of Western Christianity, where you have kind of a spiritual reality and a physical reality. Ah, 
Yes. Um, so for us, a lot of what we do is physical in church and physical movement. Um, we see the connection between um, uh, our spiritual well-being, our spiritual reality, and our ascetical life. So there's a great emphasis on asceticism. Yes. And um, especially, you know, different times of the year. And this is all done together. So mm. um, it's kind of the... Yeah, that's important. Things. Yeah. When I'm going out on a bit of a limb here, but those things seem to be so connected. If If the physical is so important, it would make sense that the gathering that attending to these physical ways of being and experiencing God together, that, that those have to go hand in hand. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I think, I think especially, you know, what's interesting, because we, we, we work on a, a number of uh, uh, cycles, you know, we have a, a daily cycle of prayer, weekly mm-hmm. cycle of prayer, then a yearly cycle of prayer. And that yearly cycle has periods that emphasize fasting. We have four of fasting periods during the year, and especially the, the big one, of course, is during Lent. Mm-hmm. And um, we, the fasting is prescribed. I mean, it's a it's a certain way. We we avoid dairy and meat. Uh, the actual fasting rule is um, in a monastery. It would be one meal a day in the evening of vegetables. Um, okay. And so that's enough to, so you you can survive. Yes. Now, in the world, we relax these rules because we're not in monasteries. But we do this, this fasting together, and then mm-hmm. we do uh, extra services during Lent, especially Wednesday and Friday nights, where we have a, a Vespers. Uh, it's called the Liturgy of Pre-Sanctified Gifts, which mm-hmm. is a Vespers, an evening prayer with a uh, communion service together it's a very beautiful Mm. but that sustains us through lent as we go through this period of asceticism and reflection self-reflection in preparation then eventually for pascha or easter yes which is of course the celebration of christ's resurrection Mm. so um so yeah that's all done together and it is a, a physical endeavor and also, you know, during Lent, we do a lot of prostrations. Prostration mm-hmm. is where you drop to the ground and, and put your head to the to the uh, the floor and then stand up. We do a lot of those, um, and it's all kind of designed to to um, to uh, physically connect us to God. Ah, so it's yes. not orthodoxy is not so much about a, a an argument or an intellectual thinking thinking about things it's what are we doing what are we practicing mm, the practice i love that that seems like so i i told tim before this podcast i'm from where the protestant tradition i'm presbyterian and in the ordination process there and so some of this is really new for me but i wonder if i could get your take on i mean so many of the conversations we've been having with guests that would probably locate themselves maybe in a tradition more familiar to mine we talk loud about um Christianity Today called this category of people the ums. So Christians who um, have a personal relationship with God would say that they possess a faith and that's important to them, but they're uh, like they're a little iffy about attending church. Um, Sort of being a part of that embodied gathering of believers isn't as important to them. 
to me, it seems like based on some of the, the important, the, the importance of practices, as well as some of the theology in the Orthodox faith, that posture would, would be very, would be very foreign. Am I correct in understanding that? Yeah, I think, in, but it goes back to the, um, it really goes back to the idea that uh, the presence of God. So the reason we want to be together in the liturgy is, is not so much for each other, though we do have wonderful fellowship. But uh, if you come to an Orthodox church, people aren't looking around and greeting your neighbor. We're not okay. doing any of that. Yep. We're really looking forward and praying. Mm. But it's because of God being there. And uh, he's there mm. in the liturgy in a profound way. And then, of course, we, we celebrate the Eucharist, which is his, his body and blood, which he's given to us. Yes. And, you know, we can... I'll read about that in John 6. Um, we don't define it. We don't have a doctrine of transubstantiation like in, in, that came about later in the West. But we believe it's truly his body and, and truly his blood. And so this is what's happening. And his presence is palpable in the ortho, in Orthodox worship. So that's why we're that's why mm -hmm. we're there. And that's why Lone Ranger Christianity is makes no sense in an Orthodox yes. context. And is not, um, it's like we have a phenomenon, maybe similar, which is now we have people interested in orthodoxy, but all they do is they go online and read about it. And mm. I get emails from these people. I talk to them sometimes. And, uh, but whatever it is they're doing, however they're thinking about it, that is not what it's about. You have to be there. It's the practice. Yes. Right. Hmm. Do you tell me a little bit about how this works throughout the week? It sounds like there's sort of a, a focused gathering, maybe a Sunday worship session. Does that does that sort of help those that belong to the church conceptualize living out their faith throughout the week? Or are they involved in the church or at the church during the week? What does that look like? Well, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a great question. Well, the um, the way it works and the bare bones kind of um situation that we have as a, a, par a parish, a mission parish, is we at least have a Saturday night, Saturday evening, Vespers, which is evening prayer, um, and then uh, Sunday morning divine liturgy. And that's the way it works is that, uh, uh, you know, we get worship from the Jews. So uh, Jewish worship, the Jewish day begins the evening before. And Christian worship is the same. So the Vespers on Saturday night is the the uh, inauguration of the sun, of Sunday, mm. of the day of resurrection. So Saturday night, the Orthodox Church is not party night. It's preparation, preparation. For, for Sunday. And then we have the liturgy, and then we have our party after that. Oh. Um, so uh, so it's kind of Sunday noon is, is party time. Yes. Um, so it's evening and morning, one day, right, out of Genesis. And so that's that's what we do. And then, yeah, it would be the idea is that we want to live out our faith during the week with yeah. good works, for love of neighbor, for our, mm. through our daily prayer. Orthodox Christians have what's called a prayer rule, which is that we, we um, pray certain prayers um, in the morning and the evening. Uh, which are, um, you know, to help help us 
uh, live out the Christian life. You know? yeah. it, because the key is, it is the relationship with Christ. This is what we're after, this relationship with Christ. And it, it has to be a living, real relationship, not, uh, not just some thoughts that we have about God. It's not, we don't want it to be reduced to that. And in, in order not to reduce it to that, we have to do these things. Yeah. It's not that these things that we do uh, are what's going to save us, but in a way they are, right? Because uh, it's the life. It's the life in Christ mm. that saves us. Mm, it is. It is. What would you say? I just am wondering. So in this podcast, we've been trying to parse out this this idea of of belonging, this tension that we do belong to the body of Christ. We belong in these services of worship. Maybe sometimes we don't always want to be there or we struggle with kind of figuring out what that looks like. What would you say in your church, what, what does it mean to belong to your particular tradition or to your church? Um, what, what would that look like for somebody who maybe, I don't know if they'd be called a member or somebody yeah. who's integrally involved in the life of your church? How would they sort of find themselves belonging in your community? Well, we're, 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 um, it, it's like for us, it's like it was at the beginning in the early church. And you don't have to take my word for it. Ask Jerry Sitzer uh, about <laughs> this, uh, who he has studied the, the catechism, the catechesis. And so it's absolutely, we're still doing that. It's the same. Mm -hmm. uh, if a person's interested in orthodoxy, uh, they we just invite them to come to services. We answer questions. Mm. Uh, sometimes we do a little Orthodoxy 101 class, and you know, see if they're interested. Then, when it becomes evident that they really want to pursue this, we um, and if the time is right, we uh, will enroll them as a catechumen. To be enrolled, there's a prayer, a certain prayer that's prayed, and then you are officially a catechumen. And so then you are a catechumen, you take instruction, you go to services okay. for, for at least one year. Um, it's kind of like an engagement period. And because once you come into the church, we don't want and we can't stand and we feel terrible when people leave. Uh, when yes, they flake out, yes. when they say, you know, I really don't want to do this anymore. That's a terrible thing. So yeah. we don't want to, we want people to have a firm commitment when they come in. Before they enter, right. yes. And so what we do is they, we give them plenty of time to find out uh, what a bunch of hypocrites we are, what a bunch of <laughs> not good people Air we are. Dirty laundry. <laughs> yeah, we want them to know. So that they don't then later say, oh, wow, I can't believe these people. Or ah. I found out this about this doctrine. I don't agree with it. Mm. Uh, we, we don't want to do that. So we're not so eager to uh, pull people in. We want It's like a full disclosure situation. Wow. And uh, we want to respect their will in that. Yeah. So is it, would you say it's primarily... It, here's info about the Orthodox Church. Here's the doctrine. Here's the, is is it specific to your particular church, or is it more? Let's talk about the Orthodox faith in general. Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into oh, well, when it yeah. comes to belief and practice. So we do all all of that. Okay. You know, we we talk about all the the uh, theology and the doctrine as much as we we can. Uh, we talk about the Bible. Um, people get to know us. Yes. You know, it's really important. 
I've learned to get to know people and, and what's really going on with them. And uh, then um, when the time's right, it's interesting, when the time's right, it's actually the priest will tell you, uh, you can come into the church. Okay. Uh, it's not, it's like, not their decision. And I remember, so. uh, I actually remember, I think it was Jerry uh, telling students in the MA in theology program of which I was one, that fact, and they were just stunned by that. But it's still that way in the church. We won't, uh, we won't just receive somebody. Uh, we won't just baptize somebody because they're eager to be baptized or bring them in yes. because they're so yeah. eager. In fact, what's interesting is sometimes the more eager they are, the more they have to wait. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Because we don't want to, we're not, we don't want to any, in any way manipulate anybody and we want them to know what this is about. We want them to be committed because this is a lifelong, this is a serious thing, you know. This is like when you get married, you know, it's a lifelong commitment. You don't want to be flip about it. Mm. Um, so I think that works pretty well. Um, it's difficult maybe in some ways because of, who we are as Americans, and we're not used to this kind of situation, and we are kind of consumer-oriented. Yes, absolutely. And so orthodoxy really doesn't cooperate with that very well. No. When I, again, situating myself outside of that, a lot of that feels so compelling to me, how countercultural that would be. And I imagine you're right that that does create quite a bit of sticking power if you are going to go through this process you are educated in all you know you've done this year this this courting period or this dating period by that point you wouldn't just stop going on a sunday right you you would hope not yeah i mean it does happen and it's uh it's painful right when that happens when people do that yeah but uh, it is it's but, so different than the consumer mindset yeah. you mentioned of i mean that's more of my world is we'll, we'll do church shopping. I'm going to try this one out, see if it fits my particular consumer tastes or maybe the, the theology, the spirituality that, that I think is correct. And if it doesn't align, then I'll go to the next church this week. That, you, that You're right. The orthodox structure that you described doesn't, doesn't cater to that mindset at all. I, I think you're right. And I, I would add that it's also not about the personality of the pastor mm. uh, because... Uh, now, we do have some personalities that are fantastic. I mean, uh, it's interesting because at one time, when I first came into the church, before computers, YouTube, and all this stuff, there was like one Orthodox priest, the head of the seminary, uh, who was, you know, known. Another, there are a number of them. But for the most part, it's not so important. It's not mm. so important. A priest is a priest. The church is a church. Uh, it's the same theology. It's the same yeah. liturgy. Um, so you just need to kind of plug in. Mm. You're entering something. I hear you say you're entering something bigger than just the pastor, just the priest and just the church. There's a sense of I'm becoming a part of the faith. Of the faith the worldwide. Yes. Yeah. Worldwide. So for mm. I'll tell you a funny story. I was uh, back in uh, the early two, 2000s. Um, I was uh, traveling fairly regularly to Romania um, to teach business courses. And Howard Connections, ironically enough, were Baptists. 
So okay. I was stay, staying at a Baptist college in Oradia, Western Romania. But um, eventually uh, linked up with some Orthodox guys there. And uh, we went on, we, we traveled around Romania and uh, visited monasteries. But on one of these trips, one of, one of the guys said, do you want to have an audience with our bishop? And I said, sure. So I, I uh, went and met their bishop and he, in his uh, residence and his office. And he's trying to figure out, you know, so who, who are you? I was a deacon at the time. He said, so who's, you're a deacon. Who's, what are you with the Greeks? Are you Greek Orthodox, Russian with the Russians? And of course, in America, we're such a patchwork of, yeah. uh, of these jurisdictions, Russian, Greek, Antiochian, uh, because of immigration, it's a little difficult to explain. So I'm trying to explain to him that I'm with the Orthodox Church in America, and he couldn't quite get it. And then he said, one moment. And he, he went into another room. Then he came back. He's holding a book, and he had it open. And it was all of our bishops' pictures in this book. He said, which, which one is your bishop? And I pointed mm. to my bishop. And he said, we are one family throughout the world. We are one family throughout the world. A few years later, I saw this. I saw this in, in another trip overseas. I was in Vienna. I saw the Russian cathedral. I could see the uh, the onion domes from a distance. So I, I walked over to it, and there were people out doing landscaping. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. It's it's open. And then I looked, and there was the priest. So I, I walked up to him. I introduced myself to him. Uh, he gave me a little tour of the church. And he said, now, um, now who's your bishop? And I, I said, Job. At the time, it was Job, the bishop of, of the Midwest. He said, oh, Archbishop Job. He said, I served with him in New England back 10 years ago. You know, So there is this, this feeling of, of, of uh, family. Being connected. Yeah. Well, and I imagine from what I know about the Orthodox faith, that connection spans worldwide, but also the, the history piece is so important, right? The, the tradition, the sort of apostolic succession passed down. Would you say within your community, there's there's quite a sense of, of belonging to not just the worldwide church, but also the historic church throughout the centuries? Yeah, that's, that's well put. I think part of it is um, there's that. There's that, but also the, the awareness of the saints uh, yes, is a big part yes, of the church. You know, the great cloud of witnesses, like Hebrews talks about. Yes. And so for us, those people aren't dead and gone. They're with us. Mm. And it's it's interesting that, uh, you know, just people in the church will know who, who these, who these uh, people are. Uh, it's, for example, um, take somebody like uh, St. John Chrysostom. Um, now, people who've been to seminary probably know, have heard of yeah. him. Uh, we have a St. John Chrysostom scholar here on campus. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go out to uh, talk to people on the street, they're not going to know who St. John Chrysostom right. was. Right. Every, every Orthodox Christian knows who he is. Mm. Um, and that goes for many of the people and uh, many of the saints. Because for us, they're... Uh, they're examples uh, yeah. and we read their, their lives and we're interested in how they live. And so we're, we feel connected to them. Mm. 
I would say, though, also what you mentioned before, that the whole history of the church is important to us. And uh, it helps us to kind of navigate uh, and understand where we are in the, the scheme of things. Yes, no, absolutely. Thanks for engaging my questions on this. I think I, I find so much of this, especially when we think about questions of belonging, so fascinating. And it seems like that would make a difference when I think about uh, actually a lot of the students that I know or friends that I know who kind of show up at church and leave. What you're painting feels so different of showing up at church, expecting the presence of God, participating in that presence feeling a sense of belonging with everyone around you, as well as belonging to a larger community. I mean, I think it's, it, it's lovely. I think, I think there's that belonging and there's also a, a real identity, hmm. you know, as an Orthodox Christian, uh, you, you have a feeling of that's of identity. Yes. That's, uh, that plays into it. Um, and that is, uh, that's, important to people, you know. So when, for example, when people travel, they go to other parishes, other churches, and, uh, you know, are received usually, you know, in a friendly way, and they have that, those connections. So it's, it is, it's pretty great. Oh, that's lovely. Well, I've got one more question for you, Tim. It's a question we ask every guest. When's a time where you felt like you, the church was where you truly belonged? Yes, yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, I would just say this. I always feel that way mm. on the one hand. But I will say this. Orthodoxy, um, I have, I go to, I've been to certain churches, uh, and this has happened to me a number of times, especially if I'm not there when the service begins. Um, this happened to me in Yakima. There's a beautiful Orthodox church in Yakima, and I came for the Sunday morning liturgy, but they'd already started the matin service, and I walked in. And honestly, I had to stand in the back for about 10 minutes before I could go in mm. because it was so um, kind of powerful and overwhelming. And that ha that's happened other times. One time I showed up to our church in Montana on a Holy Thursday I traveled from Spokane there all day. And so Thursday night, they were reading the 12 gospel readings of the uh, of the Passion, the 12 Passion Gospels. Mm -hmm. So I showed up after the service had been going probably an hour. And I just, I just had to stand in the back. I couldn't go in. So there's always a little bit of a feeling, of, I think in Orthodoxy, feeling of belonging, but the, the presence of the holiness of God is there too. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a uh, it's not so much a casual feeling. Uh, I think people can feel comfortable in the Orthodox Church, but it's not like it's um, showing up with your latte and uh, your sunglasses <laughs> and shorts, and you're not at the beach. Yes, you know, for... it's a different feeling. Oh, it is. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for being generous and explaining some of your, uh, this distinctives about orthodoxy to me as well. It's been a lovely conversation. So thank you. There is so much in this episode that we hope to continue exploring in future episodes. I think about Father Tim's description of the one year onboarding process to the church and how that connects to belonging. 
the fact that you have to be invited into the community by a leader when you're ready versus being marketed to or a church that just wants you to keep coming week after week. This perspective on the church's authority and the church's importance when it comes to belonging is so different from my own experience. I don't know about you. And I hope this case study at Fathers Tim's Church is helpful for you as you continue to think about belonging in the church. The particular challenge that I felt from Father Tim was his emphasis on physicality or embodied faith. You heard him mention what can be a tendency for Western or Protestant faith traditions to focus on on a me and Jesus spirituality. He called it Lone Ranger spirituality, a spirituality that doesn't find any anchors in community or place or a service of worship. And I think often in our frustration with the church, which I know a lot of us feel, We often attach a lot of our disdain to the church building. We get frustrated that the church often just exists within the walls of the church. And Tim recognizes that, yes, we can become too focused on the church as a building. But also, our faith is concrete. Yes, the church should be and is so much more than a building. But our faith is an embodied expression that takes form in our daily lives, our relationships, our neighborhoods. And church buildings, spaces, can help usher us into the sacred by reminding us of the presence of God in a very concrete way. So a recommendation. Find an Orthodox church to visit or to tour in your neighborhood, or even an Episcopal or Anglican or Catholic cathedral around where you live. A lot of these churches give tours if you don't feel comfortable attending for a Sunday service. But find a place, maybe a building that feels different, a place where you don't feel like you can just, what did Tim say, come in in your shorts and have a latte. (laughs) Spend time exploring the place. Maybe praying, meditating, journaling there, be curious about how it makes you feel. Does it challenge you? Does it make you more aware of certain aspects of God than you usually are aware of in your daily life? Does this space extend a sense of belonging, like you're a part of something bigger or not? Either way, may you know the deep, abiding embodied and real presence of God in your life and in the life of the community this week. See you next time. We look forward to continuing these conversations with you. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram at OCE Whitworth, or you can find us online at whitworth.edu slash OCE. And if you're enjoying these conversations, like, subscribe, send these to your friends. We are a new podcast and we so appreciate the shares as well as the feedback. Join in the conversation, email us, talk to us, send us a comment, tell us what you're thinking about and how these conversations have been pressing you to think about where we belong. Join us next week for our next conversation. See you soon.